Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From a one-room home in Lagos, Nigeria, to an underground league in Queens, New York, we take you all over the world on a journey that is immersive, intimate, and intense. These are the lives of dreamers, of women soccer players who ask themselves, what am I willing to risk? How far will I go to chase this game? These are the stories of mothers and daughters, of far-flung adventures, of heartbreak, endurance, and joy. This series is about finding something you love and doing whatever it takes to keep it, no matter what. I'm Hannah Waddingham, and this is Hustle Rule, based on the book Under the Lights and in the Dark, written by Gwendolyn Oxenham. When I first spoke to Gwen about this series, I was astonished that the stories you're about to hear haven't been more widely told. I think every kid in every school should grow up hearing them. And while this series focuses on football... The themes are universal. For all the women you're going to hear from, there's that teetering moment of, do I just accept that this is where I'm going to sit? Or do I do that last push because I know I deserve it? It's not lost on me that my role in Ted Lasso is as the female owner of an all-male football team. In my own life, I've tried to widen the field of opportunities for my seven-and-a-half-year-old daughter... While girls weren't playing football in schools when I grew up, now that has changed. Every Monday, I take my daughter to football club and she's like, Mommy, I love it! And as she listens to this series, just as you are now, I hope she is as inspired as I am. Here's Gwen, our author, a former player herself. At 16... She was the youngest Division I soccer player in U.S. collegiate history. After playing at Duke University and then professionally in Santos, Brazil, she made Pelada, a documentary about pickup games around the world. She's been using soccer as a way into stories ever since. Back in July of 2004, I stood with my teammate on the side of a dirt road in Itaim, Brazil, holding out my thumb, attempting to hitchhike to professional football practice. 
We played for Santos, the most storied club in Brazil. And this was our daily routine. My teammate would bat at my thumb and mumble at me in Portuguese, never satisfied with my technique. We'd take off after the car, yelling Brigada, having saved ourselves the 45-minute walk to the field. As I sat in the back seat, I thought to myself, if this is what professional women's football looks like in Brazil, the holy land of the game, what does it look like in the rest of the world? That question led me to write my book. And now you can hear the players' stories told in their own voices. Our first episode is Alinko, the Super Falcon. There are few places in the world as busy as the Ejegule Boundary Market in Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos is the largest city in all of Africa. It has a population of nearly 15 million people. And here, it feels like it. The market is chock full of stalls and stands, chicken coops and overflowing baskets of fruits and vegetables, and lots of people. So many people hustling and moving and shouting and selling, balancing goods on their heads as they navigate the maze of the market. This is where 13-year-old Josephine Chukwanye has been selling fruit every afternoon for the past four years, carrying a tray of mangoes and bananas on her head. But today is different. Today it feels like she has a secret. Because yesterday, her life changed. A scout knocked on the plywood door of her family's one-room home and told her parents she had what it took to be a professional football player. Man, that day, I think that day I, I sold almost everything because, you know, there is this energy that comes with it. You know, when you are having, when you are doing something and you know something is going to come out from this, my life is going to change after this. Now she needed cleats. Her mother, the owner of a roadside fruit stand, had told her she could keep 10 cents out of every dollar. This meant that every mango she'd sold got her one step closer to cleats, to football, to her future. Several boys had ridden the golden football ticket out of a jugulay. They found professional careers in Nigeria, in Tunisia, as far away as Sweden. Josephine wanted to do the same thing. I keep telling my mom. When I was selling in the market, one day, you're going to see me in the TV. But as everyone told her, you're a girl. That doesn't happen to girls. This is the story of Josephine's relentless pursuit of her dreams and her determination to prove everyone wrong. Here's Gwen. When Josephine was born, the third daughter in the family, her father disappeared for three days. I know he's actually waiting for a male child because of his family. When they gave birth to me, he wasn't at the hospital. He wasn't present. When he came, he left. He was like a female child again. So he wasn't that happy about it. He didn't even show up. He was disappointed to have a daughter while she was disappointed to be born into poverty. All the time, I always ask my dad, why are we poor? Why? We stay in a one-room apartment with everyone inside the one-room. We are five on the floor, and my mom and my dad on the bed. So we have to create a space whenever we want to sleep in the night. 
So we have to like take the long sofa and put on top of the short sofa. So we have like a space. And that space, we have to put a mat on the floor and we sleep. My leg is going to be on my sister's head. So my other sister's leg is going to be on my head. During the days, Josephine and her sister fell in love with football, playing in the dirt with the boys. Their father did not approve. He was like, you cannot play football because it's for men. You're going to be like a man. I don't want my child to be like a man. But Alinko barely heard these talks from her father. And one day, he actually watched her. It was a game between their part of the neighborhood and another part of the neighborhood. Three kids against three other kids. And everybody, for some reason, was watching. And there was this raucous, excited feeling in the air. That day, the rain is falling. I took the ball from the back and dribbled almost everybody, and I scored. Scored against the guys. And my dad was, maybe she's good, maybe she's good. So she, he was happy. He was just surprised to see that maybe what people are saying is true. She's good. But even that day had not changed his mind. When a local coach named Tico knocked on their door and invited Josephine and her sister to play for his team, her father wasn't having it. The first day Tico came to our house, he was like, I want to see your dad. And my dad is really, my dad is a tough man. My dad said, you don't need to come to this house anymore to take my child to football because she's a woman. I don't want her to look like a man. But Tico is actually so scared of my father. Because my dad definitely means it when he said, I don't want to see you in my house. You don't need to come. He's going to call the police on you. So Tico left and went to talk to my mom. I started crying. I said, if I, if I, if I will not be able to play football, then I'm going to die. I keep saying it to my mom because I know my mom has a soft spot. You say, mommy, see, see this ball. See, if I don't play this ball, see, I, I will die. See, and you will die if you don't play that football. Mommy, if I don't play football, I will die. You can't hear your daughter say that and not give in. This coach, Tico, was saying their daughter could be great, that football could give her a future. In Ajegule, futures weren't easy to come by. Her father knew this firsthand. Every day, he left their home to look for work as a day laborer. One time, Josephine followed him and saw him at the wharf, just waiting. I saw him in a really bad state. You know, when you don't have a job, you need to sit. He was just like shaking his head. I think he's waiting for someone to choose him. That day, his face is not good. And every time my dad went to work, he would say he's working, but he's not working. I didn't tell anybody, though. I just know that my dad is not working. So all this why we're asking him of money. Daddy, give us money. He's just squeezing, squeezing from his own side. He doesn't have a good job at all. So since then, I don't think I ever asked him about um, why we poor. I don't ever ask him. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even though Josephine's father hadn't wanted a third daughter and had fought her every time she tried to play football, they were also somehow best friends. It was obvious to Josephine's sister, Christiana. She's always my father's favorite. The two of them, they love each other very well. Her father was also one of those guys who was good at giving people nicknames. Like, he picked that name and just give it to you. That name is the name he's going to be calling you. Like me, he usually call me Paco. <laughs> Paco is like a plywood. So my, when my dad is telling me that I'm a Paco, he means that I'm slim and strong. I would, I would say, ah, daddy, why did they call me this? Why are you always calling me this name? Her skinniness earned her another nickname, 
one that her family still uses to this day. It came during one particularly windy training with Coach Tico at the military field. Wind turning her oversized jersey into a sail. My shirt was really big. And um, we wanted to start training, so we need to like take a, a run around the beach. It started uh, drizzling like a lot of wind that day. I, I noticed that I'm running, but the wind is taking me backwards. Somebody just shouts, see how you are running like Alinko. Alinko is the name of a character on the popular Nigerian sitcom Papa Ajasco. He's a famously skinny boy with a signature walk. And we have a, um, little kids that are training the other side. So all the kids started shouting, Alinko. So that was how the name came up. The name just came like that. The day I went home, my sister was like, Daddy, your daughter's new name is Alinko. My dad was laughing. The old neighborhood, everybody know I am a Linko. It wasn't long before another coach knocked on her door, a scout from one of the best professional women's teams in Nigeria, the Pelican Stars. They came from far away, from a city called Calabar in the southernmost tip of the country. It was more than a 14-hour drive, and the bus was leaving the next day. So when this guy came, he first, when he first came to the door and you know, my dad said, hey, so you want to take my daughter to that far place, Calabar, for how many years? <laughs> so the man was like, no, your daughter is good. We will we'll take her to Calabar. We'll be giving her some money. We'll be paying her salary. So my dad was like, no, she's too young. How will she be able to take care of herself? At first, my dad stand up. He wasn't taking it because I've never traveled that far with people that I don't know. He said, if you don't go away from my house, maybe I'm going to call the police on you. He was insulting him in every manner. My mom came and my mom was just like trying to persuade him. People are watching that day because they noticed that um, some footballer coach came. So the compound was a little bit, a little bit full that day. Like everybody are looking. But the whole place was quiet. It was my dad's voice and Akim's voice and my mom's voice and my cry. I was saying, if I don't play football, daddy, ah, if I don't play football, I'm going to die. You. So that is when my mom started talking to my dad, saying, let's give it a try. And the next morning, Alinko took a bus with half a dozen other girls to a new life in a new state, playing professional football on grass for the first time. I started football on a beach sand. When I come to the grass, it was like football was too sweet for me. When I'm playing it, I'm just flowing. I'm like, I'm like, or maybe on the sky playing when I'm on the grass. This is sweet and it's easy. You can pass the ball easily without even bumping because the grass was really smooth and I was running. I, I wasn't even tired. And after spending her whole life sleeping in one room with six other people, she was given a room to share with only one other player. I said, are you serious, this room? You know, I was really happy. I was like, so I first called my mom. <laughs> I said, mommy, can you believe that me and somebody is going to share one room? One room, and we have toilets, we have bedroom, we have kitchen inside. And in this moment, she knew. She would find a way to get her family out of Ajegule. 
you know, when you don't have something and you you actually experience a little bit of it, you will be dreaming about it like, I'm going to work out to get this. My first month in that place, in Pelicans, I was just saying, oh, God, I know I'm going to have a place where we're going to be comfortable like this. That is, I keep saying it. I don't even know how I'm going to do it, but I know I'm going to do it. But my mom, they don't take things serious because... Of course, she's hustling. If I say something when I wake up that I have a cow in my dream, then I have a house, they will say, okay, it's malaria, it's typhoid. <laughs> they don't even believe it. They'll say, it's malaria, it's, you have a fever. But I keep saying it all the time that I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to build a house for you. I called Alinko's mom and Alinko's sister, Christiana, in Lagos. I asked... When she told you she would build you a house, did you believe her? <laughs> <laughs> well, that time, when she said, Mom, mommy, she will build a house and she will buy a car for me, I, I didn't think say it will be real. Yeah, my mom will be saying that she's sick in the head. Uh, she's she... just daydreaming that <laughs> my mom then, she just encourage us to play football, but she never really believed that the outcome would be this huge, this positive. It's true. In 2008, for the first time, FIFA, soccer's global ruling body, was hosting an under-17 Women's World Cup. Nigeria was creating a team, and Alinka was one of more than 50 girls invited to try out. I was praying every day. I called my mom, say, Mommy, I beg, like, Mommy, please pray for me. My mom would just say one or two prayers. She don't know what it means, you know. Me, I was just saying, God, please, my hard work, this is now my hard work is going to show. The day they called the finalists, I called my family and I told them about it. Because the names are going to come out from the, in the newspapers. My mom heard about it in the market. See, your daughter's name is in the newspaper. Your daughter qualified to the, one of the players going to Guinea-Conakry. She's under 17 player now. So that is when the first time they heard about my name in the newspaper, my mom was like, so my Pekin name can enter this paper. Pekin means my child. My child name can be in the newspaper. Our first game is, is Guinea-Conakry, and we need to travel by air. So that was my first plane. I was just thinking that, God, please, I just don't want to die this young. <laughs> I was shouting, I was crying, holding the plane seat. So when the plane started having a little bit of um, turbulence on the air, it was mad. I couldn't even contain it. Man, that experience was, it was awesome, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Number one thing I was thinking now, um, I'm beginning to live the dream. That under 17 makes me to realize that this football is going places. In May, she traveled to New Zealand for the main event, the under 17 World Cup. And the games were going to be televised. That day, the energy went off. So the, the other neighbor, he, is, he has a generator. So they own the generator. So they were like, come and see your child. Your child is playing. Come and see your child. This is an honor for every one of us in the neighborhood. So they invite my dad inside their house. 
And that was the first time that man can actually call my dad inside his own house to come and watch a TV. So I was playing and, you know, the old neighbors started shouting. They have never watched anybody in the TV. Like, you know, somebody you know. Like somebody from your neighborhood in the TV. It has never happened in my, in my place. Christiana was there that day. Everybody was shouting, Aliko, Aliko, Aliko. Nigeria just scored one goal. Everybody was shouting, Aliko. It's not Aliko that scored. But everybody was shouting, Aliko, because she, was, she really played well in that match. She really played well. So after the game, after everything, I called them and I can hear the voice in the background. Everybody is shouting. Everybody is shouting, you play well, you did well. My dad would say, I'm proud of you. You know, this I have never had. My dad has never come to Navy Barracks to watch me play football since I, since I have been playing football all my life. The Navy Barracks was the dirt field close to Ajegule. It was a safe place to play, and many Nigerian greats had beginnings on that field. But her dad didn't watch her until this national team game on television. I think that was, that was everything to my father. My dad was extremely happy. After that game, when I called him, he was actually, you are looking so big in the TV. But in the real life, you are so small. <laughs> so after that day, my dad was so amazed. I won't lie, that was the best experience ever. If your parents are watching you play and they have never watched you before, it was the first time. So it was really good for me. And the day she came back, the entire neighborhood was waiting for her something her sister and her mom still remember. If you see the standing ovation in the whole of Ajegule, people were shouting. When I came back, that is when I put the money down. I said, Daddy, you see the football, now you say I shouldn't play. This is the football, this is the dollar. I never see dollar. That was the first time my mom was seeing dollar for the first time. Even my dad too. (laughs) (laughs) So the two of them were like, my mom said, ah, See dollar. See dollar. <laughs> this dollar. My mother was like, ah, so this is dollar. That she has never seen dollar in her life. Not long after that, Alinko gets scooped up by the best team in the country, the River Angels. The roster boasted nearly all national team players. And in May 2010, at just 18 years old, Alinko joined the Nigerian senior national team to play in a friendly against North Korea. The way they are warming up. It scares me. They are warming up like like military men. That country is different from everywhere I've been to our own life to you. Everybody is wearing the same clothes. The fans that came to watch, they are all wearing like dark blue t-shirt. Everything was just same in the stadium, the noise. So that day I was super scared. But I actually did my best as a young player. I really, I really played that day, but Man, those girls are good. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. 
and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alinko usually talked with her family a lot, every day. But since she'd been in North Korea, her phone had been quiet. Me and my dad, we are close. If I call him, he's not picking up. I call my mom, call my sisters, call the two of them, but they're not picking up. I say maybe they have a problem with their phone. No one answered for five days. Finally, her sister picked up. She was like, I'm so sorry, uh, our phone has been so bad because we don't have energy. And so, okay, I understand, but why is everybody there fine? But Alinko knew that things were not fine. So when the team made it back to Nigeria, she caught the next bus back home. Daddy, I just took the night bus and go to Lagos. It takes almost maybe like eight or nine hours. It's a road trip. Inside the bus, I was just like, I couldn't sleep. You know, 
it's it's a blood thing. I, I I just feel something is wrong with me. I was just praying that we should reach early, like the bus should move really fast. Let me know what is happening. Like, I hope it's not something serious. The moment I went home, I saw a lot of people crying all the way to our house. I said, I don't know why, why is everybody, ah, then I know that my dad is dead. I couldn't stand it, I have to run away. I couldn't even sleep in the house. I just ran away and went to another place and sleep, pass the night in the hotel. I was angry because I wasn't there for him. That is what I just feel. I wish I'm in Nigeria. If we are not in Korea, I think I could have maybe meet up when he was in the hospital battling for his life. Everybody was there with him. It is just me. I wish they told me. I told them. At least I could have even called on video just to hear him, even if he is not talking. Only his breathing for me to just hear something about him lastly. It could have been good. I didn't even see him. Wouldn't, I didn't even touch him, nothing. If he told me that my dad is going to die, I was in never. I never believed that he's, he's dead because he's full of life. Uh, that man is so strong. Huh? Man, I've, I've never felt that way before. It's like something left me that day when I saw the dead body. I never believed that my, a big man like that can just die and he cannot talk. It was just silent. He couldn't say anything. We are hoping he could just open his mouth to say something. It's painful. In her father, she had lost her best friend and the patriarch of her family. Alinko and her family are part of the Igbo ethnic group, and the loss of the patriarch without a direct male heir is a big deal. It depends on individual families and it depends on the man's status. But generally, there is this belief that if a man does not have a son and dies, that that such a man had lived a worthless life and that there will be nobody to continue his lineage. And after his brothers and contemporaries die, uh, the man will be forgotten. That's Professor Gloria Chuku. She's the chair of Africana Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And she specializes in gender dynamics in Igbo culture. No one in Alinko's father's Igbo village helps the family of women with the burial. They are left to fend for themselves. At 20 years old, Alinko pays for her father's funeral almost entirely by herself. I think... That barrier make me like, I need Josie, you need to step up. I was just like, I need to have a house. I saw a lot of players building houses in River Sanchez. And our manager then, she's actually the manager of River Sanchez. She always encouraged young players, use your money wisely. What you do for your family is what is what they're gonna remember you of. So she encouraged every one of us to get the land. She always remind us in every day, every night, remember to save, remember to save, remember your family back home. So I just got a land inside a place in Ikorodu, inside Lagos. I bought that place for 500,000 Naira. It's in dollars, it's $1,400, I think. So every money I made in the national team, I didn't even spend it. 
I was saving every penny. It took five years to build the house. Every year, the home went up little by little, room by room. And by 2015, her mom and sisters had a place they could call their own. And this isn't just Alinko's story. Many Nigerian women's players have also been able to save money and change their families' lives. The Nigerian Women's Football League is one of the longest-standing women's professional leagues in the world, first starting in 1990. Here's Amina Daura, the current head of women's football at the Nigerian Football Federation. These girls, most of them come from poor backgrounds. They grew up struggling. They saw their parents struggling. So by getting into football and making it with the little they have, a lot of them are the breadwinners. They do basically all, everything for their family. It give, you know, it gives them a leeway to see the world, make it in life, and then help their, their family members and other people too. So it, it does help. It changes their life. It, it does change their life. Because of the country's investment in the women's game, the Super Falcons have a history of being the best team in Africa. To be fair and honest, the Super Falcons are the champions of Africa. We won nine African Cup of Nations. We have about 30, 11 um, titles to our name, but we're the best in Africa anyway, the Super Falcons. So, you know, we, we now want to try and penetrate the world. But they also have something of a World Cup curse. They've only advanced to the quarterfinals once in World Cup history, in 1991. And for the last two decades, they've been pitted against stiff competition in the group stage, where teams fight to qualify. It happened in 2003. And in 2007. Closing out their World Cup. But to lose by this score against the United States, that's really like a moral victory for them. And 2011. It's a story that Nigerian sports journalist Adeinka Oyedele has seen over and over again. We all know when it comes to women's soccer, women's football in the world, the Americans are top-notch, the Germans are top-notch, uh, the Swedes are top-notch, and we find ourselves always drawing one of these three teams in a group. We always hope to avoid the Americans, the Germans, and uh, the Swedes. Bring on any other team, we feel we have what it takes to match them. But then somehow, we just get to draw these guys. We call that group of death when you give us a very strong team, and that has been the major problem for Nigeria. In 2015, they once again landed in the group of death. But Alinko and her teammates were all hope. Just one year earlier, a good portion of the roster had wowed the soccer world at the Under-20 World Cup. And while they ultimately lost to Germany in the final, they had dominated the game. Most watching the tournament would have described the Nigerians as the most talented youth team in the world. One year later, the senior side was composed of many of the same players— 20-year-olds eager to stun the favorites in their group. Sweden, Australia, and the United States. The American game, it was like the finest. I won't lie to you. It was like the finest. Because we put the game on highest level for us. Like, we're going to beat these girls that day. We came to win. We are so close to win. If not for Ambi Wambeg that scored. You know, to the middle. 
Man, that game was really one of my best games. I played extremely good. Alinko is a center back. She strips the ball off of incoming forwards in a way that is absolute and intimidating. Then she distributes coolly and definitively. Courtney DK was one of the younger teammates playing with Alinko in that World Cup. I was very intimidated by her because she's ruthless. And so I was going up against her in practice and she was just dominating everything. She would go down to tackle you as hard as she could if you're going going up against her, but then, you know, she'll talk to you after the game and it will be like nothing happened. Even though the Nigerians don't make it out of group, Alinko didn't go unnoticed. Her agent got her a contract to finish out the American professional season with the Washington Spirit. Alinko would leave the River Angels and for the first time, play professional soccer on another continent. But before she took off for the U.S., there was something she wanted to do for her mom. So when I came back, I bought my mom some furnitures. The furniture, because she has never eaten in, on a dining table before. So I took her to the furniture shop and I was like, Mommy, I've seen a lot. I've seen some nice stuff in my life. And I would like you to experience little of that. I asked Alinko's mom what she remembered from that day. Her sister, Christiana, helped explain. My daughter said, Mama, we buy cushions. My mother was like, ah, Alinko, you can't afford all these things now. These things are expensive. So Alinko was laughing at her, saying, Mommy, calm down. I'm here to buy all these things for you. So my mother, she, my mother shouted and said, wow, you want to buy all these things for me? So that day, Alinko bought blender, new couch, television sets, so many other things. So my girl, they do all these things for me, for my life. Upon this basket, this sofa, so I no believe for my life. That day I cry, I cry. I thank God. She said she knelt down and she was crying because so many people have been mocking her right from when she was giving birth to all of us that she doesn't have a male child, that female children are of no use, that nobody will take care of her in her old age. So what male children can do, our own female children are doing it for her. So she was happy and she was crying at the same time in that um, furniture house. So she said she was really grateful to God. She was thanking God that what other male children can do, that our own daughter is doing it for her. Between joining the team mid-season and visa technicalities, Alinka only played in two games for the Washington Spirit. But she loved those two games, and she was hopeful for the next season. Until the team delivered some news. They just told us that um, our coach is going to leave. But when the new coach is coming, the new coach did not even see us play. They just wave us. <laughs> it's quite crazy. So we are thinking they're going to wave us to another team, but they just wave us out. After only three months, Alinko's dream of playing in the U.S. is over. Instead, she signs a one-year contract with Swedish club Vitwa, with the option to extend. Ngozi Sonia Akobi her teammate from the Washington Spirit does the same. Every game I am winning like MVP, me and Sonia. If she didn't get MVP, I'm getting. If she didn't get it, I'm getting it. So we are just like 
the eye of the team. If Sonia scored me, I dance. Sonia will run to meet me. We started dancing. Alinko played every minute of every match until she couldn't. The last two games from the first round, that is when I started developing pains. Maybe I was, okay, the pain will go, the pain will go. I started icing it and going to my physio. But I was like playing with it. But when the pain was increasing, my leg was swollen and I'm still using it. We did MRI. The result was bad. The physio was like, ah, they need to do a surgery. So I was like, I don't know if I will be able to do surgery. Is, this, is the knee that bad? So I'm just scared of bad results because I'm at the peak of my career. So I, I've not even enjoyed the professional life yet. After the surgery, the doctor came and said, the meniscus on the knee is not good. I was on my bed with Sonia. I was crying. That is when the coaches came to me and said that they won't give me another contract. That is where I started having the problem of my life. I think she had a great sense of how to play the game. I recall it, the ability to read the play. And uh, so she had uh, some difficulties with a knee. But before that, she was flying. She was one of the best uh, mid-defenders in the league. So That's Thomas Mortensen, one of Alinko's coaches at Vitwa. We had a medical opinion on, on what, I mean, it's hard also because football is both taking care of people, but it's also a business. So uh, it's hard to keep players when our doctor said that she wouldn't be able to play and that we couldn't give her a contract for next year. That was really sad, but that's football sometimes also. If one thing is clear, Alinko is resilient. At 30 years old, she has accomplished more than anyone ever expected. So it's no surprise that when she got this devastating news, she still picked herself back up and found a way. Here's Stefan Ekstrand, who coached Alinko in Sweden when she was trying to make it back to the first division. She had this uh, fantastic uh, fighting spirit. When she came to a, a game, she uh, did everything for the team to concede a clean sheet or uh, scoring uh, a goal. I remember she uh, took the players together and then she were talking about that uh, she would do anything uh, and everything to help the club and the players. And when the 2018 Africa Cup of Nations comes around, Alinko is back on the national team, where she plays for her country and ultimately helps Nigeria win the whole tournament. Out in their mouth, Montlalo and Nigeria are the ninth champions in this competition. I think that was my most happiest moment because that was the competition my mom personally watched me. She watched me every game. I came back from injury where by they say I cannot play football anymore. I was really happy. I was really happy because I did well. Everybody is watching. Some will even come to my house. They will be making noise. Alinko! Everybody was shouting. I saw your sister. I saw your sister. Alinko is more than famous. <laughs> Alinko is in every, every room. Everybody wants to be like Alinko. 
But after the high of that win, Elinko is soon faced with the facts. The injury on her knee is too significant to continue with a professional soccer career. Man, when the doctor said you can't, if you keep playing, you're going to have complications on your knee. I won't lie to you, it's not easy. Like, I won't lie to you. I am just feel like, ah, I lost. That is how I'm just saying myself, that I'm a loser. I, I'm too good. I'm too good to stop football. I, I'm just having this whole thing because I know I'm at the top of my game. Injury is no good, especially when you come from a poor home. You know, you are the one doing everything for them. This thing happened to you. You can't even go back home and they take care of you. No job in Nigeria. I don't blame them, though. I blame my society. My sisters, they went to school, they are graduate, but they don't have jobs. They are only selling their petty trade. I've never done anything apart from football. This is my life, you know? Where will I go from here? There is no job in Nigeria. So many people went to school. I did not even go to university. I don't have that big connection in Nigeria that they can even help me to get a good job. You know when you lost something that is something that is your life, it's unexplainable. The, the, the feeling I have about me getting depressed is one thing I will never know how to express it because football was just my everything. Football scholar Laurent Dubois once wrote, soccer at its heart is all about creating openings where there seem to be none. Every player on the pitch lives by this rule. This truth, of course, extends beyond the field. If you can find the opening, you can change your life. Alinko's talent is the reason she was able to build a home for her family. And now, as she recovers from injury, she's running into new barriers, navigating spaces she's never been in before. I miss football every day, every day. Every day I miss it. And if I talk about it, I won't sleep. I'll be thinking, dreaming about football every day. <laughs> so that is why I don't keep in touch with them a lot. The football, my football teammates in Africa, because they keep, they want to know what's up with me. God, I never knew I would, I would come to this point in my life, but I tried. I'm still fighting for it. Though. I need to fight for life. One thing that makes me actually really, like, I came out from that depression was like, a lot of people don't eat in Nigeria right now because the state of Nigeria is bad. Since last year, I know some people I'm sending money to, even when I don't have money. You can send them even just maybe $30, they will be grateful. So at least I'm even seeing more than $30 now. So who am I to be complaining? I know. No matter how I'm struggling, I've always had this strong mentality about it. In Nigeria, football gives women the opportunity to make a living, to support their families, to be a breadwinner. Josephine Chukwanye is living proof of this. And though she's been forced to move on from the game, that same determination, resilience and drive that took her to the largest stage in football will lead her right to her next opening. So over the next six weeks, we'll be sharing more awe-inspiring stories of incredible women who will do anything to play the game they love. I'm Hannah Waddingham, and this is Hustle Rule. To celebrate the series' launch of Hustle Rule, we've got a two-episode special drop. Listen now to our next episode 
Play Away the Game. Hustle Rule is a production of Waffle Iron Entertainment, Range Media Partners, Observatory, Audio Up Media, and iHeartRadio. Written and directed by Gwendolyn Oxenham. Hosted by me, Hannah Waddingham, and is based on the book Under the Lights and in the Dark, written by Gwendolyn Oxenham. The executive producers are Justin Biskin from Waffle Iron Entertainment, Bo Balligan from Range Media Partners, and Sean Titone from iHeartRadio. Co-written by Ruth Hilton, Produced by Gwendolyn Oxenham, Ruth Hilton and Jordana Glick-Franzheim. Co-produced by Jimmy Jelinek and Jared Gutstadt. Edited by Carrie Caulfield-Arek. Sound design and mixing by Jeremiah Zimmerman. Music by Jeff Peters and Bill Markt. Theme song performed by A1 LaFleur. You'll find more podcasts from iHeartRadio on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.